we're glad that Ralph and Gail Francis are here because they live in the city that you just saw, and they have been there for many, many years, and would you give them a real good welcome today as our guests? Ralph and Gail Francis, wonderful people. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, sir. How thoughtful. What a delight to be here with Pastor Lynn and his dear lady, Brenda. God bless you both. We appreciate your love for God, your love for people, and your love for this congregation, your love for the people working around the world. And what an honor to be able to stand here with People of such stature as Vernon and Sarah Davis, they have put up with Gail, and when they put up with me, Gail's not that hard to put up with, but they've put up with us for many years in the nation of India, and, and it's a delight to be able to walk along with them and name our name with their name in association with Bombay and with India, and uh, thank you so much for being the standard that you are and have been for so many years, Brother Davis and Sister Davis, in the integrity and the righteousness of the kingdom of God. Amen. I think it'd be all right to give them a hand clap. Amen. Yeah. I, I know that they have their place here. I know they've They've established themselves among you, and you love them. Some of you have talked with me. Uh, don't let them know that we converse, but some of you have talked with me before service and at, at other times that I visited about them. But always it's been with endearment and warmth and love, and, and I know that you appreciate having them here. My first wife is here sitting with the Davises, Gail Stan, let folk at least see you. She told me, she said, I'm just going to sit today. There are certain areas of, of some of the scenes that you were seeing on this screen this morning that uh, I introduced Gail as my first wife, and I get a total different reaction than what you just gave. But uh, she is quick to say, and the last. She, she's very scriptural. She says, I am the Alpha and Omega when it comes to marriage. And uh, I, I appreciate her willingness to walk along with me and to be involved. And she took me to India, and it's just a delight to walk with her and experience the good things of God. She would let you know that that was reversed, that actually she followed me, and uh, we walked through some times and places that she would rather have not been, but she's been there. She's, she's, a, she's a trooper, and I'm, I'm grateful to have her as a part of my life. I, I stand here today in the presence of your pastor and other ministers who are in this service, and Brother Davis, and, and I, I feel like the fellow that made it to heaven and he stood in the presence of a group talking about the Jonestown flood that he had survived. And in the group he was talking to was a fellow by the name of Noah. 
And that's kind of the way I feel today, if you're, if you're wondering how, how I'm feeling. But I, I, I want to just share something with you. Uh, you can turn your Bibles, if you have them, would like to turn and read with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. K.K. Dave Rudge's name and voice came on that screen and over that audio sound uh, just as that moments ago. And uh, I may freeze also, it sounds like. But uh, for years, the strength of K.K. Dave Rudge's life has been the streets and ministry to hurting and needy people. He has a passion for souls. And now the attention in many ways is turned to the brothels and endeavoring to rescue youngsters. I don't know what's on the video. I I, I don't remember seeing that particular clip. Um, But some of those young girls that come out of Nepal come away because their parents have sold them. They didn't sell them into the life of slavery that they ended up in. They sold them because of the dire condition of the family need and a means of trying to get some help, but with the idea that the child can go and get into a means of income that will be a benefit to the family. They go into a room in an upper story. Brother and Sister Davis have been on that street in Kamatipura in Bombay. And you can look up above the ground floor level to what would be an, a, a, an attic, you would call it here, and little vents about maybe six inches by 12 inches in size with wire mesh over it is the only means of getting air and sunlight into that space. And you can see faces pressed up against that wire trying to get some air and some, some outside look at street below and movement of activity because they're locked in there for sometimes up to three years until their will is broken and they submit to the life that they've been brought into. It's a very difficult, very difficult thing. Um, but God is working. God is touching lives. There are, there are women that go regularly into that red light area. Um, Frank and Lucy Baker are people that are part of of. Restoration Outreach Church in Bombay, and Frank's passion is jails, and Frank's gone into some of the highest security prisons in, in the nation of India, having come from a background of crime and, and uh, being a part of gangs and having been in prison himself, but released, but found Christ. Lucy's passion for years was the prostitutes, and she would go right into the brothels where 
they are and work with them and share with them about Jesus Christ to bring them into the liberty of the spirit and the soul to set them free by the power and anointing of the gospel of Jesus Christ that they can come to know that there is value, there is worth, there is reason to be a part of humanity but with an understanding that we are a citizen of another world, another kingdom. Amen. Praise God. You found Matthew 25? Good. Hold your finger there or put your gum there or take your pen and put in that place or if you're doing it digitally, put a bookmark and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And there I want to read just one verse of Scripture with you. It's in this verse, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15, that I pull the words of what I want to talk with you about this morning. Paul says, I will verily gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. My focus is on those words, spend and be spent. Look at your neighbor and say, are you willing to spend? Some of us are kind of greedy, kind of stingy. Some of us want to hold on to all we can get our hands on. But look back at your neighbor and say, are you willing to be spent? That's something that we don't understand the meaning of. We don't know the implications of. But spend and be spent. And then back where you put your gum, open your pages and rip apart that place. In Matthew 22, verse 15, beginning. I'm going to read this particular passage in the NIV. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing that evil, their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. If you were to go and read in the context of the scriptures in Corinthians, where we read the one, the one verse that Paul is sharing with the people of that congregation, you'd find that Paul was writing to them, doing something that he did not necessarily regularly do. He was blowing his own horn. He was championing his cause because he said, you haven't done what I deserve to have done. 
You have treated me as other men are treated, hirelings, wolves, seekers after their own gain. There are some that send in representatives in order to take from those who are being supposedly ministered to to satisfy the goal and the desire of the one who sent that representative. Paul says, I'm not like that. I want you to understand that I have in my life and in my ministry for your sake and for your benefit, I have spent and I have been willing to be spent in your behalf There's a reason for that. Jesus, in this experience in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is approached by those who were lawyers of his day, those who were very rigid in their outlook on life, those who were bound up in laws. And they came to him trying to trick him with their questions. We face trick questions often. It's like the man that was asked, have you, have you stopped? He was talking to a counselor, and the counselor asked him, have you stopped beating your wife? It's a trick question. How do you answer it? If he says yes, it's an admission that he has been beating. If he says no, it's an admission he's beating her and will continue to beat her. Jesus, of course, knew what they were doing and he was living among them with a desire as all of Israel to be freed from what they viewed to be the oppressors of the Roman Empire. Their rights were being taken. Their privileges were being limited. They were not having the favor among people of the world that they had had in their past and in their history. Kind of sounds like a nation I heard about recently that things are changing in. Look over at your neighbor and he's, say he's talking about us. Things are changing. Jesus came under the scrutiny of the trickery of these lawyers' questions, and you're familiar with this, and he simply asked for a coin, and he said, look at the coin and tell me whose inscription is on this coin. It was the coin that was used to pay the tax, and you remember that it had Caesar's inscription on it, an image on it. But his statement to them was, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. Let me remind you that in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him male and female he created them. We are His because He made us 
in creation. We have his image stamped upon us. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you're not your own. I, 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 I just remembered where I am. This is first assembly. This is 11 o'clock morning worship, and we're very, you know, supposed to be ordered and structured and dignified, and pastor wants you to pay attention and, and be listening, and probably you don't talk much in 11 o'clock service, but, you know, I'll be gone, and next week you can get back into the flow, but uh, I've, I've taught folk in Bombay in the church there, Restoration Outreach, to, to, to talk in church at appropriate times, and so I'm just taking my liberty and doing that today. Forgive me, Pastor, I didn't ask for permission before, but uh, a theologian, a powerful man of God, and, and I, I apologize, I should have asked that and got approval. It's too late. I haven't been, been able to be here before. Probably won't get to come back now. <laughs> but thank you for talking a little bit in church, but at the right time. When we belong to God, we're His. We're His because He's the Creator. But in Romans 8, 29, we're His because of redemption. Whom He did foreknow, He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. We bear his image. We have his name. Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. We're twice his. We have a responsibility to him. How, how many of you, I know we just received the offering and, and you may not have anything left. You may be a good first assembly giver. But have, have you got a dollar bill in your purse, in your wallet, in your pocket, wherever you keep your money? If you got a dollar bill, would you mind just... I mean, this is going to be totally different than you're accustomed to. We're not receiving a second offering, okay? Just, just relax. The guys have already turned the bags in. They're locked away. And we, we just, just for illustration. But you've got a dollar bill. I mean, you may, you may only have a 20. That's fine. Take it out. What can you do with it? What do you want to do with it? There are, there are stores around, I remember, that have the word dollar associated some way with their name. I went in some since the few weeks I've been in the States, and, and I was expecting everything in there to be a dollar. I tell you what, you better look before you go to the register if all you've got is a dollar. Well, well <laughs> he, he's, he's getting it. <laughs> but you, you could go into a place and buy something that you wanted if you wanted something that cost a dollar or less. You reached into your purse or your wallet. You pulled this 
dollar out that you're holding in your hand, it's yours. You can do with it what you want to do with it. How, how many of you, how many of you on accident have another dollar? You got another dollar in there? I didn't know if I had one or not. When you go into, when you go into a place of business and they need a dollar, you reach into your purse, into your wallet, and you've got a choice. You can choose between $2 bills. Not a $2 bill, but between two $1 bills. If you choose one, does it talk back to you and say, no, use the other one? Have you ever had that happen? Or do you reach in for one and the other one says, please, 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 take me. It, you did well. You pat yourself on the back. You did well. You can put it away. I just wanted you to have something to concentrate on. <laughs> you got a bag you can pass. These guys really know their job, don't they? That dollar bill is yours, and you do with it whatever you want to do with it. And it never asks you why. It never asks you, why me? It never suggests, take that other one. It's yours. I'm endeavoring to make a point this morning. You and I belong to him. It is not our privilege to ask him why. It is our privilege to serve him. It is our responsibility to be available to him, to spend. We use the money that we have in whatever way we decide to use it. And it's willing to be spent. It's willing to follow whatever course of direction we place it in, whether it's out at the coffee bar or whether it's in these cloth bags that come around during the morning and evening services and at different functions in different containers perhaps. It's willing to be used however we designate. We're God's. And we're to be used by him in any way that he desires. I find in the church in America, and by the way, it's not so different around the world, but I find in the church in America that, that the church in America wants to be fulfilled. The church made up of people in America, want to be successful. They want to be wealthy. They want to be healthy. They want to be popular. They want to have they want to have their families successful and blessed with things. They want to live in the best. They want to eat the best. They want to drive the best. They want to etc., etc., etc. But the church in America 
belongs to the Lord. Our measure is not with a church across town. Our measure is not even with the one sitting beside us, a part of this congregation, and what they attain and what they have. Our measure is between us, not as a congregation even and only, but our measure is between us as an individual and the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and was willing to be spent for you and for me. Many people want to be able to do the miracles that Moses did. But they're not willing to go to the backside of the desert or the wilderness and wait until God gives to them the directive and the instruction. Many want to be able to have the revere of respect and awe and honor that John had, but they're not willing to be boiled in oil. They're not willing to be on a forsaken island and wait until the vision comes that God can say, pass this to my church. Show this to my people. The privilege, the opportunity to spend, the responsibility to be able to assist in the kingdom of God, to be able to assist in a world around us is a responsibility that is ours because we are His. We belong to him, Jesus in Gethsemane cried, Lord, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass, but nevertheless, not what I want. I want what you want. Where does he want you to spend that dollar? Where does he want you to spend your life? Where does he want you to expend your energies? Where does he want you to focus your prayer efforts? And by the way, I learned just the other day that, that there are some of you that have been praying for Gail and me. Thank you. Since the first of the year, thank you. You spend in the kingdom. And if you spend in the kingdom, you get to be spent. If you have the opportunity to spend, and I'm not talking just about money, you have the responsibility and the privilege to be spent. And I believe that the degree that you are spent determines the degree which you can spend. I think the willingness that you have to be spent determines how much you can spend in the kingdom of God. 
You can count on God if God can count on you. You can expect God to break in if God can expect you to be faithful where he puts you. It's not my privilege or opportunity to question him why. It's my privilege to serve him where he places me. It's the opportunity that I have to be useful to him in whatever way he sees that I need to be and can be useful. I think you cannot separate the resources and blessings from the task that God gives you. I think that to serve God allows the power of God to have a channel through which it can flow and God can work to touch lives and bring change in others because you are in the place that God put you and wants you to be used by him to touch somebody and impact them for something that may happen future in years that you won't ever even see. There's a world that's out there around us. I've, I've written down some things here just to remind me, and I'll glance at them as I talk with you. But the world is out there held as a, as a hostage by a deceiver, held in bondage by the powers of Satan, like a man robbed and beaten and lying beside the road waiting for some church representative to come by and bind him up, minister to his need physically. The world is there like a man sitting or lying at a temple gate begging. Do you youngsters, have you heard that song? I heard somebody describe it the other day. And I haven't heard it, don't even know the title of it. It's about a young woman who has lived a loose life and she's she's living just across the street from a big church building and the people come and they go and they go inside and they worship and they sing you you're familiar with the song I'm talking about oh dear I'm off on deep water again they don't know it but her belly is swollen with child she's not married Her house is cold because she has no way to provide even for herself. And now a little one's coming. And across the street, the the function is that the church is doing its thing. Nobody knows she's there. Nobody pays attention to her. And the end of the song, if I understood it correctly, she goes down to a place and walks in and they greet her. Now, Thank the Lord. Was it Larry and Philip and, and Jim and I've forgotten all of your names and Diane was there also greeting us as we came in. One fellow walked all the way out to the car and escorted my wife into this, into this building. He really made points with her. So at least you're getting out to the parking lot. But you're doing that well. 
But here, nobody had gone across the street. And she walked into this place, and they greeted her warmly. And they said, we can help you. There are things that we can do to assist you with your problem. And they took her into the back, and clinically, they removed a problem. And she went home from a place where she had felt accepted and the warmth of concern and interest. And she went back home. And across the street was the church. And they hadn't been in. Maybe, maybe they will see her. Maybe they will take interest in her. A man lying at the gate of the temple waiting for somebody to come by and say, I'll give you what I've got in the name of Jesus. Willing to spend and be spent. The world is like the demoniac of Gadara screaming and agonizing in tears and nakedness and crying out to and at Jesus, waiting for somebody to be able to free him from the chains. Not the chains that the town people from time to time put on his body. He could get rid of those. But to be freed from the chains, because Jesus said, the anointing is upon me to set the captive free. That same anointing that came on Jesus has come on you. He talked about, he, he talked about the anointing. He talked about the power, the signs, the wonders, the miracles. It's going to happen by you spending and being spent. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got the same anointing Jesus had. The Holy Spirit of God descended upon him, a man born of a woman, to be used of God by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That same anointing of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What will you do with it? What are you doing with it? Are you willing to let him spend you where he wants you to be spent? No questions asked. The world's like a treasure in the field, just waiting, waiting to be found. The world is, is like a pearl of great price, waiting for the church to see her value and get involved. The world is like a woman with an issue of blood, trying to press through the crowd to touch the hymn of his garment. The world is like people walking the broad road to destruction in, warring the, in, in ignoring the warning signs in life. It's like a farmer, foolish farmer, 
tearing down barns to build bigger ones, not realizing that life's going to be gone. Life will soon pass. Brother Tom was talking with me before I came up front. I said, how are you? He said, I'm getting older. That's wisdom. Life's not going to continue as it was 30 years ago. But the world is, is like that foolish farmer playing the part of a fool, trusting in the temporal rather than the eternal. And in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the crisis, I hear them crying, don't you care? Aren't you concerned? I perish. I perish. Help me. Turn to me. Pay attention to me. And we do things and we, we don't necessarily see results. And we wonder, why does it happen? I don't know if that was God calling that phone or not, but it's, it, you know, it happens to the best of us. I've been standing in the pulpit and forgot. I usually hit the be quiet switch and I've forgotten. So I, I don't chastise folk any longer because of that. But I, it caused me to look at my watch and you probably have the timer set and the roast is going to burn if you don't get there in the next 20 minutes. So... Let me see if I can close with an illustration. Actually, it's a story that's it's on the Christianity Today website. You can go there and read it for yourself. J.W. Tucker had gone back into Central Africa to a place that was known as, came to be known as Zaire. It's gone through some name changes. It's the Congo. He's going back in for his fifth term. I haven't calculated to say how many terms you folk were in June or in Pune in Bombay. How many was it? Do you know it in terms? It's 30, 37 or 100 years. I mean, you know, they spent... And they were spent. Janubia was going back in with his family for a fifth term. He knew he was at risk to be there because in November 1964, anarchy broke out in the Belgian Congo. And a mob set on J.W., they began to beat him with sticks and clubs, their fists, broken bottles. And the report says that his screams were heard blocks away during the 45 minutes that they beat him and somehow life continued to linger in his mortal body. When finally he died, they threw him unceremoniously in the back of a truck and drove him a great distance and tossed his corpse in the 
Bomokande River. I've never been to the Bomokande. But it's kind of like the one just over here. It's just a river. Except that the Bomokande was infested with crocodiles. And those crocodiles consumed the corpse of that A.G. missionary, J.W. Tucker. Somehow, Belgian troops landed. They got Mrs. Tucker, I think she passed away in 76, and, and their children and others, two others, and got them out. But they couldn't get to J.W. in time. The Bomakandi River flows through the middle of the Monbeto tribe a people that effort had been made to reach with the gospel, but it had been spurned. It was like they were people who were determined we're going to live in a state of heathenism and darkness and be content as we are. No one seemed to be able to penetrate. No one was able to reach them. The anarchy and the trouble that came into the Congo reached This area of Mangbeto. And the king of the Mangbetos, distressed that the trouble had come to him, and he appealed to the central government for assistance in Kinshasa. The response of the central government was to send a man who was a a police officer known as the Brigadier. The Brigadier did not know Christ until two months before J.W. Tucker's murder and two months before J.W.'s body was thrown to the crocodiles. He met the Brigadier and introduced him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the brigadier began to reach out to the kingdom of God and the word of God and embrace Christ as his master and Lord. And he did what he could to impact this tribe of people, the Mangbetos, endeavoring to influence them with the message of Christ. And it just seemed to fall on deaf ears with them. And then he learned something about their heritage. He learned something of their traditions and their past. And he called for the king and the elders of the tribe to meet him at a particular time in a particular place. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, some time ago a man was killed and his body was thrown into your river, the Bomokande River. The crocodiles in this river ate him up, and his blood flowed in your river. Now, before he died, he left me this message. This message concerns God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this world to save people who were sinners 
He died for the sins of the world, for my sins. I received this message, and it changed my life. Now, if this man, J.W. Tucker, were here today, he would tell you this same message. He's, he's not here, but his message is the same. And because this is the message of the man, notice these words, whose blood flowed in your river, you must listen to my message. You see, the tradition was that if the blood of any man flows in our river, we must listen to his message. A silence gripped that meeting. And the Holy Spirit descended into that room. And grown men began to weep and call on that brigadier. Tell us how we can satisfy the message of this man. And God broke into a tribe of people whose tradition was to strong arm him and stiff arm him and say, away from us, we want nothing to do with you. But the love of God broke into their hearts. And today in the Congo, there are nearly half a million believers. There's 4,000 churches. There's over 4,000 pastors because a man was willing to be spent for God without saying, what good will it do? What's it going to benefit me? You and I are challenged today to spend and be spent. Father, This is just normal Christian living. As I learned in this room in the Sunday school hour for this class. This is just who we are. We're not our own. We're bought with a prize. And oh God, may we not be caught up with the with the, the ideology of what's called church today that is just pointing to self and gratifying flesh but may we learn that he who loved us gave himself for us that we might be free that we might have life that we might have hope may we learn to praise you as the psalmist said not just in this room but to praise you in our life, in our actions, in our attitudes, in every place that we are. For truly, Father, the time is short. Truly, the amount of opportunity that comes to our life is less and less than it ever has been. And we must do all that we can without asking the questions, what will I get out of this? How will it benefit me and mine? but to say, Lord, I am yours and you are mine. Take me, make me, mold me, use me, spend me as you see fit that I may bring honor, that I may bring glory to your name. 
In Jesus' name I pray.